0: 1858 there were deepening divisions in the union over the issue of slavery and it was into this situation that Abraham Lincoln gave his seminal speech now known as the house divided speech. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe the government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing Or all the other. Either the opponents of slavery will arrest the further spread of it and place it where the public mind shall rest in the belief that it's in the course of ultimate extinction. Or its advocates will push it forward till it shall become alike lawful in all the states, old as well as new, north as well as south. Lincoln's words would be proved right as the country plunged into civil war just three years later. A house divided against itself cannot stand. What you may not have known was that Lincoln was echoing the words of Jesus, a words which we find in our Bible passage today. A words which remind us that at the end of the day, we can't remain in two minds about Jesus. We can't sit on the fence or have a foot in both camps when it comes to Jesus. We have to pick a side. That's what we're thinking about in church today. So stick around and we'll open the Bible in detail in just a moment. Well, good morning and welcome to Yonville Community Church. My name is Dan Bidwell, Senior Pastor here. Uh, We are so glad that you're joining us this morning as we make time to draw near to God in worship and in prayer and as we hear Him speak from His Word. Uh, So if it's your first time with us uh, or if you've been with us for a long time, uh, it's so good to have you. Uh, One of the ways for us to all feel more connected is if you fill in our Connect card. Uh, You'll find the link on our website at www.yonvillechurch.com. Org, uh, or you can find it in the comments below on YouTube. Uh, let us know what you think, uh, what you're learning, what God is doing in your life, how it can pray with you. Uh, because we are a church and not just a YouTube channel, and so we would love to hear from you. We'd also like to keep you updated on our physical return to church. Uh, for those who are in the Napa Valley or nearby, uh, our historic church building uh, has been under construction for almost three years. But that construction is almost finished and we are looking forward to what God will do as we relaunch ministry in just a few weeks time. So uh, get in touch with us and we'll make sure you receive our weekly e-news emails uh, and all of that uh, latest news. Uh, One last announcement. If you've got kids or little ones in your life, why not share our kids church videos with them? Uh, Our kids minister Charlotte is teaching a series on the parable of Jesus at the moment. And uh, they're great fun, so make sure you check them out. Uh, Here's a little sample of the kind of things that we do together each week. Hey kids. Howdy kids. Hey everyone. Welcome to summer camp. We're gonna have so much fun. First on the list is making bubbles. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Today's fruit is love. It's been fun growing my vegetable garden. How yummy does that look? I made an octopus. These are our final products. We have done our five cookies each. We're going to be learning about peace. And that is how you make a paper airplane. Amazing. We cannot wait to see you next week. But for now, we miss you. We're praying for you. And we'll see you next week. Well, it's time to get into God's Word, so why don't we pray that God would speak to us now as we open the Bible. Our Heavenly Father, You are the God who speaks. Thank You for Your words that are recorded here for us in the Bible. Thank You for the words of Your Son, which we're about to read. Our Father, help us to hear Your voice and to hear the promptings of Your Holy Spirit as You speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, so today we reach the end of our teaching series in Matthew 8-12. to you might remember this section started right after Jesus came down from giving his famous Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus shows that he's not just about words, uh, but actions as well. Our chapters have been full of healing after healing, a fulfilling Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah and showing glimpses of the kingdom that the Messiah brings, this kingdom where demons and diseases are defeated and even death is no more. By his words and actions, Jesus paints this powerful picture of who he is and how we ought to respond. So as we open this last section of Matthew for the year, we'll pick up again next year where we left off. But as we open this last section now, I want you to ask yourself, what is your response to Jesus? What is God doing in your heart as we listen to him in the scriptures? And how is God using these passages to shape you and change you and challenge you? Well, let's get into the text. Last week we saw that tensions were rising between Jesus and the religious leaders, the Pharisees. So much so that the Pharisees had begun to plot how they might kill Jesus after he healed the man with the shriveled hand on the Sabbath in Matthew 12 verse 14. Well, in today's passage, another kind of healing triggers a new confrontation with the Pharisees. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 12 verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But When the Pharisees heard this, they said, It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Matthew 12, to 24 Unlike many other healings that Jesus did that are purely about physical illness, this healing is about demon possession. Throughout Matthew 8-12, to Jesus has cast out demons on a number of occasions, and I haven't said very much about it in previous sermons. So it's worth spending a moment thinking through the idea of demons and demonic possession and that kind of thing. Uh, Let me start by saying I'm no expert. Uh, As someone who grew up in a very modern Western cultural setting, um, the world of spirits has never been something I've paid much attention to. Of course, Western culture is not the only culture in the world. And plenty of other cultures have a much more developed sense of the spirit world. For for example, we see it in Eastern cultures. Uh, I've seen it myself when I visited Africa. Uh, And it's the same for many of the more traditional world cultures. The Bible itself is very clear about the presence of spiritual forces. God himself is spirit, as Jesus said in John 4.24. God's own spirit is hinted at from creation, uh, right from Genesis 1, the second verse. And His Spirit plays a role throughout the Old Testament in bringing God's presence to His people. In the Old Testament, we see it particularly amongst anointed leaders and prophets. But then in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all believers from the time of Pentecost. And so if you're like me, most of us have quite a developed sense of the spirit world from the positive side. We're perhaps a little less clear on the darker side of the spiritual realm. Again, the Bible is clear about the reality of evil spirits. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We see those spiritual forces in the New Testament as Satan and demons and impure spirits. However, far more often, evil is portrayed in the Bible in the selfish choices and sinful actions of humans just like us. The demonic realm might be real, but we bring plenty of pain and suffering into the world all on our own. So come back to the man in the story. He's demon-possessed and blind and mute, and in this case, uh, given that the demon possession is mentioned alongside his other illnesses, there seems to be a connection between the two. Um, Note, this is not a proof text to say that all illness is caused by demon possession. Um, Nor does it say that illness is the result of personal sin, Uh, not always anyway. What it does tell us is that the world of demons is real. They were very real to Jesus, and so they should be real to us too. But we also see how simply Jesus healed the man. Jesus has the authority to cast out every evil power and to bring healing and wholeness. And so Jesus heals the demon-possessed man, and and the crowds there are astonished. But the Pharisees, they mutter under their breath. It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Matthew 12, 24. This is where Jesus gives the original house-divided speech. Verse 25. Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or Household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? Matthew twelve, twenty-five to twenty-six. The Pharisees accused Jesus of using demonic power to cast out demons. But Jesus uses the logic of the house divided to show the ridiculousness of their argument. If Satan were to fight against Satan, well then Satan would be destroyed. It doesn't make sense of the spiritual battle between good and And evil. More than that, Jesus is not the only one who drives out demons. So do the Pharisees, we read in verse 27. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges, Jesus says. It's a dangerous thing to accuse Jesus of doing evil, as the Pharisees are finding out. Jesus warns them to open their eyes and to see what is plainly happening in front of them. Verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Matthew 12, 28. That exorcism, Jesus says, was nothing less than the work of the Trinity. A God the Father working through his Messianic Son by the power of the Spirit. It's a stunning moment of revelation as Jesus pulls back the curtains into the inner workings of the Godhead in in his war against evil, in the Godhead's war against evil, the kingdom of God has come upon you, Jesus says. Some Christians are quite concerned about the demonic and about the power of the devil in the world. But what we see here is Jesus revealing the plan of God to undo everything that is evil. This is the serpent crusher who was promised all the way back in Genesis 3. That's who Jesus is. He's the one who would deal with evil and undo the curse of sin. At this point in the gospel, the Listeners don't know how Jesus will win the battle definitively, but here Jesus gives them a taste of what's to come. The devil might have some power in this world, but it's limited power. And it's not outside the sovereignty of God. When I was a kid, we used to have this Labrador cross puppy called Sammy. He was a gorgeous dog. He was a dumb dog. And he was a destroyer when he was left on his own. And so when we had to go out to an appointment, My mom would put Sammy on a chain that let him run up and down the garden, but it wasn't long enough to let him dig everything up or get into the house or run away like he used to like to do. Satan is like a dog on a chain, like a dog on a short leash. Because on the cross, Jesus dealt with evil when he took our evil upon himself and when he died in our place. Jesus broke in and he stole us back from the devil's possession. And that was the moment when Satan knew it was all over. And like a snake that's cornered, the devil is still lashing out while he can. But the cross was the beginning of the end for Satan. And the end of the Bible points to the final decisive battle when Jesus will return and destroy Satan once for all. That's Revelation 20 verse 10. So you might be concerned about the demonic, but this passage leaves us in no doubt that Jesus is stronger than Satan And the multiple exorcisms in Matthew 8-12 to where they've shown the power of Jesus over the realms of evil. We don't need to fear the devil when Jesus is with us. And that brings us to the next big question of the passage. How do we know that Jesus is with us? Or, Or put it the other way around, how do we know that we are with Jesus? How do we know that we're doing it right? How can we have assurance? Because the next words that Jesus speaks are confronting for many especially those with tender consciences. Reading from verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me, says Jesus, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Matthew 12, verses 30 to 32. Jesus makes a clear delineation between those who are with him and those who are against him. Pick your side, Jesus says. Choose Jesus. Otherwise, you've chosen Satan by default. It's one or the other. There's no middle ground. And that's a hard statement for a pluralistic world, for a world that believes in many pathways to God and many spiritualities of equal value. It's a hard statement for a post-truth world, a world that doesn't like absolutes of any kind. And it's a hard statement for a secular world that believes we're better off without God. Jesus' statement puts all of those people on the other side of the fence as those who are against him because there is no middle ground. There's no neutral ground where we can just be nice people and get along. God's universe doesn't work that way. We belong to one of two kingdoms, the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. And that can be a hard statement for us as Christians when we see the stance of our friends and, and relatives towards Jesus and what that means for their eternity. So will you pray for them? Or will you plead with God for them? Will you ask God to send people into their lives who will speak uh, the words of Jesus to them, who will help them to see Jesus? It's often easier when it comes from someone else. Pray that they would join us at church here as we learn about Jesus together and Maybe consider inviting them when our building reopens. Because Jesus is clear whoever is not with me is against me. Well, that's one way that this statement of Jesus is difficult for us as Christians. The other difficult part of this verse is the idea of the unforgivable sin. What if you've chosen to follow Jesus, and like every Christian, you fail at some point along the track and you fall into sin? Does that mean you've committed the unforgivable sin? Well, let's look carefully at the verses to puzzle it out. Verse 31 says, And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. The great gospel reminder here is that every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. And remember that the whole Bible is a story about God rescuing His people from the effects of sin and restoring us to a right relationship with Him ultimately through the death of Jesus on the cross. God promises to forgive every sin when we come to him with a repentant heart and when we come back to him, no matter what it is that we've done. So what is blasphemy against the Spirit and how is it different from other kinds of sin? And why can't it be forgiven? When we look at the context Jesus is speaking into, it seems to be a word of warning to the Pharisees. They had witnessed Jesus' teaching. They would witnessed his miracles. And they had the background training in the Old Testament Scriptures to be able to recognize the way that Jesus fulfilled prophetic expectations. The Pharisees, they had every piece of evidence at their disposal to recognize Jesus as God's chosen Messiah. But instead, they uh, they refused to believe what must have been plain to them. And it's that bald-faced rejection of Jesus that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's knowing the truth about God and choosing to reject it anyway. And that's how blasphemy, well, this particular kind of blasphemy, is different from every other kind of sin. Irregular sins can be forgiven when you repent and turn back to God and, and try to live your life according to Him. But blasphemy against the Spirit is a willful turning away from God. It's this settled decision that a person won't repent of. They've chosen their side. And it's not Jesus' side. This is a difficult topic because we've all known people who seem to uh, have had a strong trust in Jesus at one point in their lives and they've now walked away from him. And it's heartbreaking. I know it's happened to some people who I love dearly. And I pray that they will repent one day, but that's between themselves and God. For us, though, we need to make sure that we don't start down that pathway that we don't start down that pathway of willfully rejecting God's influence in our lives. Uh, If you're someone who laments over your sin, if you grieve over the wrong things you do, perhaps there are even sins that you just can't seem to shake off. If you are repenting and trying to make amends, uh, then you don't need to worry that you've committed the unforgivable sin. God will forgive you. But if you have stopped caring, uh, if you've stopped trying, If you've shut God's voice out of your life, then I think you need to hear Jesus' warning today. Uh, You are on a dangerous path. It's a path which has eternal consequences. And the diagnostic, Jesus says, is to look at the kind of fruit your life is bearing. Matthew 12, verse 33. Are you bearing good fruit or bad? One indicator of good and bad fruit is the way that someone speaks, says Jesus. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Matthew 12, verse 34 to 35. There's a whole sermon to be had on what the Bible says about the tongue and and the way that uh, we speak, uh, the way the tongue can steer our course like a rudder steers a ship. That's James 3, verse 4 to 8. But put simply, Jesus wants us to notice the sorts of things that dominate our conversation, the sort of things that dominate our internal monologue, the sort of things that well up from inside our hearts. Because those things are a reflection of what we fill our heart with and what we fill our soul with. They're a reflection of what really matters to us. The heart tells us which side we have picked, Jesus or not Jesus. That's a challenging word, I know. But that's the nature of following Jesus. It's all in or all out, like Abraham Lincoln said. There's no in-between. We can't sit on the fence. We can't live a life where we say one thing and then do another, where we claim the name of Jesus in some parts of our life and reject him in other parts. That would make us a house divided. Jesus wants us to be all in with him or all out. And that's a challenge I want to leave with you today as we finish this sermon series from Matthew 8-12. to We've seen the evidence of who Jesus is. We know what he wants from us. He wants us to follow him wholeheartedly. And we know that starts with choosing which side you belong to, Jesus or the other guy. So which side do you pick? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. This strong message Uh, of not being a house divided, but uh, of being all in with Jesus or all out. Father, help us to come to you, to come to Jesus, to come to you repenting of our sin, uh, to accept the forgiveness that you offer through the cross and through the resurrection. Father, help us to have that faith in you, uh, a one-sided life that lives every moment uh, to your glory and to your praise. Father, help us to uh, put to death all of those things from uh, the old part of our life. Help us to put to death all of those things that we have compartmentalized and uh, continue to do. Uh, Father, help us not to be hypocritical, but instead to give all of our energy, uh, all of our thought life, what is in our hearts. Help us to give it all to you uh, so that our uh, house won't be divided, that we will be um, wholehearted, uh, one-sided, just for Jesus. We pray this uh, will permeate our lives as individuals and as a church. And as we go out into the community with this message of life and hope in Jesus Christ, Father, help us to be that church in the Napa Valley and beyond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.